This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by CRE Launch Pro. This online commercial real estate program is designed to take you from beginner to pro commercial real estate investor with access to all of my courses, our online community, and monthly group coaching calls. Learn how to confidently buy your first commercial property today at www.crelaunchpro.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast, live from the Cobble Group Studios here in Nashville, Tennessee, with another Office Hours. We go live every Tuesday at 8.30 a.m. Central Standard Time so that you can jump in and ask your questions. So feel free to join me live on YouTube. I typically share the link on Instagram uh, so that you can jump in and get some free coaching, free mentoring. It's been a good uh, past week. I'm doing currently doing my goal reviews with all of the brokers and uh, planning on a big year in 2024, despite all of the turmoil in the market. If you follow me on LinkedIn, I shared a post uh, about how we're going to increase our brokerage by 500% next year, laid out a five-step plan uh, as to how we're going to do that. And part of it is setting some pretty intense goals with my brokers. So we are currently going through that and finalizing their action steps for next year as to how they're going to get out there and go do that. Some of them are increasing their sales volume by two to three times, um, some more, uh, which is pretty exciting to see. And I'm actually going to be doing a monthly podcast report on where we stand, the actions that we took, essentially a business, a deep dive into the business and what we are doing to take those steps to make it happen. Uh, it's going to be wild. I've never done anything like that. Logan Freeman, uh, who you may know as a, as a guest on our investors roundtable, and of course, an, an absolute rock star in the commercial real estate world. He's going to be coming on and we're going to be having these conversations monthly together. Uh, one, so that we can kind of share the ins and outs of what it's like running a business in commercial real estate, but two, so that you all can hold me accountable for everything that I'm saying that we're going to do next year. Uh, it's, I'm excited, a little bit nervous about it, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun spent uh, the past uh, few days in Chattanooga. Um, out there, my girlfriend had, uh, she she coaches for a rowing team here in Nashville. So they had the head of the hooch, which is one of the biggest um, rowing meets uh, in the world. Pretty pretty fun to get to see that. But of course, out there um, working on Peerless and, and meeting with some people in the Chattanooga area to get that project rolling forward. Uh, pretty exciting. We've got a lease out for signatures on about 10,000 square feet there. And uh, we're, we're finalizing some quotes on a 28,000 square foot building that we're looking to get leased. So uh, good time getting out there, walking the site, making sure everything's kind of clean and, and up to date and uh, uh, meeting with some of the officials in the city and, and uh, other people. So good time for that. I'm also preparing for my annual sabbatical. Um, some of you may know that each year I take 30 days off between December 15th and January 15th so that I can kind of rest, recuperate, uh, dive into some other things that I enjoy working on. It's, uh, it's a great time. I actually was able to give a talk last night at the Leadership Institute, uh, which is a program put on by the Nashville Junior Chamber about why I do that every year and uh, how it has impacted me and my business and, and you know where we're headed. I feel like it's very easy to, to always be in the weeds. You know, it's, it's not uncommon for me to work 10 to 12 hour days. So having something like that to look forward to where I cannot check my email, I cannot check my phone, I, I do not work on business at all during that time, other than some other initiatives I may be wanting to work on or something creative. 
And uh, it was a it was a great thing to get to work on last year. So that was a lot of fun. Let's see. We've got a super chat from Michael. Uh, does small acreage, like one acre, that is rail adjacent have any added value? It's a good question, Michael. I mean, it comes down to you know where you're located. Um, if it's you know of value to the potential tenants that are going to be in that area, as well as if it's uh, zoned for access to the rail. You know, there's there's always some nuances when it comes to making sure that you actually have access to the rail. Just because you're on it doesn't necessarily mean that you can uh, create a spur or or jump onto that track. So, highly recommend looking into your local you know zoning and codes to make sure that it's something that you can access. Um, like for example, at Peerless Mill, we have rail access there, and uh, we actually have um, something that could eventually become a passenger rail drop off slash train station. So we've had initial conversations with the group that controls the rail there to see what that would look like eventually, because that rail runs directly into downtown Chattanooga, which would be pretty awesome to have uh, once the site is fully up and developed. Now, I I would imagine, yes, it is going to increase the value of that, but it's going to be only for very specific tenants, right? So you, the majority of your you know commercial users out there are not going to find value in having rail access, but there are certain industrial industrial users that have to have it in order for them to even consider going into a site. Will one acre be enough for them? It could be, uh, depending on the type of business that they're running and what they're looking at. Typically, what I see is that larger properties are the ones that have rail access. Uh, These are typically distribution centers or groups that are moving a lot of freight, and that's why they need quick access to uh, the rails. So a few things to keep in mind as you're going through that process. Let's see. Dukes is saying, good morning, Tyler. Morning, Dukes. I would like to ask about wholesaling commercial uh, over SFRs. I currently do wholesale, but I was curious if commercial wholesale deals are something worth pursuing. Uh, So Dukes, I do have a video on wholesaling commercial real estate. Highly recommend you check that out. I do think that there is something to be said about wholesaling commercial properties, but it is very difficult to do. Now, that being said, I have seen people walk away with six and seven figure checks from wholesaling commercial deals. But it's a bit more of an intensive process than it is on the single family residential side. One, because you have to, there is a lot more due diligence that goes into commercial properties. And because of that, you need a longer timeline. So I see a lot of wholesale deals, you know, they'll get the deals um, on the residential side under contract for 30 to 60 days. Whereas in commercial real estate, you really need 90 to 120 if you're the buyer right? So you got to think if you're the wholesaler, you got to get it under contract for even longer than that. So that you can spend the time to go find the buyer and then they can properly do their due diligence. Now you could of course skip a couple of steps there. If you start to, if you take on some of the risk yourself and do some of the due diligence, such as, you know, ordering the survey, getting the phase one environmental reports, doing some soil tests. If you're going for a development You know, there's a few things that you could do to kind of help speed up the timeline for anybody that's coming in that might want to, you might want to wholesale the deal to. Um, But it is not a very easy process. You have to be somewhat sophisticated when it comes to commercial real estate and know exactly what you're getting into. But like I said, I mean, if you find a good enough deal, you can get a six to seven figure wholesale check, uh, which, you know, I don't see very many people getting commission checks like that. So it's it's a very lucrative opportunity if you do it right and you find a good enough deal. 
but make sure that you've got enough time under contract to pull that one together. The Entrepreneurial Journal is saying, hello, Tyler, really like to connect with you. I have a deal that I would uh, like your perspective on. Well, Entrepreneur Journal, this is uh, exactly what this this office hours is for. So drop uh, some information on that deal in the live chat, and I'd be happy to talk through it with you. We can uh, dive into any questions you all have. So if you're joining us live, feel free to jump in the live chat, drop your questions, and we can dive into it. I think, uh, you know, if, if you all caught our investors roundtable yesterday, it's kind of funny. We had a similar market update probably about two months ago, and it wasn't overly positive back then, but yesterday's conversation got heavy. You know, everybody just kind of diving into what... Uh, what our thoughts are on the market right now and and where we're headed. You know, I think it's going to be pretty dark for a little bit. Commercial real estate is going to be rough. Real estate in general is going to be rough. Uh, I saw uh, something on Twitter this morning. Let me see if I can go ahead and pull this up because it was, it was pretty wild to see. Um, but there is apparently some fraud that has been discovered in the world of CMBS. Uh, this is from Barrett Lindbergh. Heard through the grapevine, one of the largest commercial mortgage brokers in the country was raided over the weekend. Fraud was found in loans they'd sent to Fannie Mae. This could now trigger a chain reaction of buybacks and less liquidity among Fannie lenders. Now, important to note when he says commercial there, it is it, he is meaning multifamily uh, because Fannie and Freddie are, are multifamily loans. But that could be a big deal in the world of multifamily. If there's a lot of fraud going on in some of these loan documents, you know there could be some big buybacks, uh, a loss of liquidity, some write-offs on the valuation of these loans, uh, which could have a trickling, you know, waterfall effect as to what that could mean for commercial real estate. Now, that doesn't uh, actually put it really much pressure at all on commercial loans, uh, office, retail, industrial, you know, anything that's basically not multifamily because Multifamily is kind of packaged up. It's a very different uh, industry. Uh, it's a very different type of loan, very different type of asset. So, uh, but interesting to think through what that could actually imply and mean for lending moving forward. Um, you know, the Fed chose not to to hike rates again for the second time. Treasury yields are actually down. The stock market is up. The job market is pretty strong. Um, you know, CMBS defaults remained flat at, you know, 2%, give or take. And those are all really positive economic indicators. So it's interesting talking to, you know, investors and brokers that are on the front line saying, we're not seeing anything positive coming out right now, but the economic indicators are positive. That being said, you know, uh, Brian Adams and I were talking yesterday and, and you know, he feels that we're probably going to see, um, you know, the CMBS defaults double in the next couple of months. I also believe that um, just because of, you know, some of these deals are not quite to the point where it's a problem. But if you look at office, I mean, he was saying yesterday that 87 or 89% of office loans were in default. Meaning, you know, these, these owners cannot make their payments, which, you know, there's going to be some sort of reckoning there for banks, right? Because either they're going to have to accept that, you know, they're going to write off a part of the loan, which which causes a lot of issues with their balance sheet, or they're going to have to find a way to work with the current owners to make sure that those loans don't default and something keeps happening with them. Um, let's see, Michael's saying, another wholesaling question, would struggling owners who want to sell be the target client? For example, they have buildings on the market for two years. 
Uh, Michael, I would probably stay away from buildings that have been on the market for two years. Um, if that's the case, they're probably overpriced already, right? I, I typically don't see good deals sitting on the market for more than six to 12 months. Um, now, there are some other reasons that you could, you could always find a good deal that sits on the market for a while, simply because of complications with you know the due diligence or something with zoning and codes or, or something to that effect. But if a property has been sitting on the market for a while, it's probably not a wholesale opportunity unless they're willing to take a steep discount. You know, if it's been listed at a million five for the last two years, you probably got to get it at a million and flip it at a million one, right? Make a quick, you know, $100,000 and move on. Let's see. Virginia real estate agent, any advice to finding off-market commercial real estate, multifamily specifically, who want to sell after this multifamily loan fraud news? I don't know that there's a way for you to specifically target multifamily owners that are involved in whatever you know, potential fraud this could be because loan documents are often private and it's very difficult to find that information. Uh, but I would say, you know, I was having this conversation with my brokers yesterday. All you have to do if you're looking for off-market deals is go find 600 properties. You can go pull this from your tax records. You know, there's any number of ways that you can actually do this. Go find 600 properties and handwrite 10 notes a day. I mean, we actually type out the letter, hand sign it, hand address it on the envelope, do 10 a day each quarter. That's 600 contacts. You'll hit them four times a year, and you'll typically see half a percent to 1% conversion on those. So if you're doing 600, I mean, you can imagine you're going to get a fair amount of opportunities coming out of that. And the reason I say pick 600, because you want to stay in front of these people multiple times a year. You don't want to send them a letter once a year. It's, it's, you're not going to be top of mind and things can change quite a bit in 90 days. So that's why, you know, I tell them like, look, it, it's really great to go out and find 2000 properties that you could, you know, potentially prospect, but you're not going to be able to get to them all within a quarter, unless you're really, you know, sending out 20, 30, 40, 50 letters a day. I have found that 10 letters a day is incredibly manageable. It takes you far less than an hour to put all of that together. And you can really stay on top and get to know those 600 properties really well. So I would just go find 600 multifamily properties that kind of check your boxes and start prospecting to them. And chances are good. One out of that 600 is going to be a hell of an opportunity. And they're probably facing some trouble right now. Dukes is saying, what is your expectations of valuations dropping by this time next year? I feel that many places will experience up to 50% price reduction. So I do think that overall, uh, values are down at least 17 to 25%. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to start seeing people selling for 17 to 25% less than what their real estate was valued at last year. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to start seeing deals transact at that. I think there were too early into this recession for, you know, commercial real estate owners to be in a desperate spot overall. I mean, if you think about it, even even a lot of office, even though I just said 87, 89% of it is in default, a lot of that is in an okay spot right now because most banks do not want the keys back. They don't want to deal with with taking those properties because they don't know what to do with them. They they're they're more willing to work with owners right now to figure something out so that they can just weather this storm. And most other commercial assets are doing okay. 
You know, I, I'm I'm not seeing a whole lot of distress out there outside of, you know, syndicators or groups that, you know, put too much leverage on their assets and haven't been able to accomplish, you know, what they said that they were going to get. Now, I think there's going to be some deals out there, right? I mean, every year there's always a certain number of commercial real estate loans that come due. And a lot of those owners won't have the ability to refinance because they're not going to have the debt service coverage ratios that they need or, you know, whatever else may be going on. And they're going to have to sell at a loss and take a discount. I mean, it's it really comes down to market timing. You think about all the developments. I mean, there's supposedly over 600,000 apartment units that are set to be delivered in 2024. You think about that. I mean, those developers were buying that land back in 2020 and 2021 to put those deals together. They couldn't have predicted necessarily. I mean, if you go back and look at how much money we were printing, you could probably think, yeah, there's going to be a recession here in a minute because they're going to have to curb inflation. But, you know, they they just timed the market poorly. It was a hot time to buy a bunch of real estate. And if you have 600,000 units coming online in a single year, there's going to be a lot of vacancy, which is going to be good overall for affordable housing. But when you're building at $280,000 on average, uh, including the cost of the dirt, it doesn't make sense uh, anymore. I mean, when you're when you're competing, I mean, you're going to start seeing three, four, five, maybe even six months of free rent on some of these apartment deals, just people trying to get them filled so they don't have to deal with it. But I, I do think prices are down. ISX is saying, hey, Tyler, uh, new to commercial, can you talk a little about your underwriting process and selecting new projects? to take on? Are you finding it hard to cash flow with interest rates and vacancies? Um, ISX, welcome to the channel. Welcome to commercial real estate. Uh, so my underwriting process, I'm very conservative. I like to underwrite to a 12% cap rate. Now that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going out and looking at a fully stabilized property that's asking for a 6% cap rate on a Walgreens and saying, oh, well, I'm going to give you half the value. <laughs> um, I, I tend to like heavy value add deals where there's either high vacancy or, um, you know, there's a, a big need for renovations because then we can come in and force value. And so that's why I underwrite to a 12% cap rate. It helps mitigate my risk. And, you know, if all things go wrong, we can still get to an 8% cap rate and we're probably going to be fine. So I'm very conservative in that respect. I typically assume, you know, up to 18 months of construction. So zero cash flow coming in. And then another, you know, 12 to 18 months for lease up, depending on the size of the property. And I try and beat it up as much as I can. I've got a few videos on, on underwriting on this channel. You're welcome to go check those out. And you can kind of see my process for how, how I like to look at deals conservatively. And then I'll go through and stress test it, right? So I'll say, okay, well, what if we end up getting $2 a square foot less in rent? What if it takes six months longer to get a space leased? What if, you know, renovations go over cost by 10 to 20% just so that I can see, okay, if, if everything goes wrong, we're still probably going to be fine. And that's kind of how I like to run my underwriting process. As far as deciding what deals to take on right now, very different than it was 18 months ago. 18 months ago, I would have been probably more comfortable taking on a heavy value add deal like that. Um, now I'm going for more cash flow, which is why we haven't you know, if, if you're on my investor list, I, I get reached out to by my investors all the time. Like, hey, you haven't raised capital for a deal this year. What's going on? And it's because I haven't found anything that I feel comfortable taking to my investors. We haven't bought a single deal this year. 
you know, and and gosh, the the two three years, really the two years before this year, we bought over fifty million dollars worth of real estate. So it's uh, it just hasn't been a time for me where it makes sense. Now that being said, we're looking at a few deals that pencil, and they make a lot of sense today. Like that's what I'm looking for. If I can get some sort of seller financing or something. Uh, some sort of good enough deal to where it's cash flowing as is without making any improvements, then we'll probably make a move on it, especially if it's a lighter capital raise right now, because I'm probably going to be bringing 30, 40% equity down simply because of where interest rates are and where the uncertainty is in the market. It gives me much more stability in my investment. So, you know, we're looking at a self storage deal right now. It's got a little flex building on it. And it cash flows day one, but we can also add 40,000 square feet of flex space to it and probably another 180 self-storage units. So that's a great value add opportunity, but we don't have to do it to get our investors a good return. Like if all things fail and we just sit there and cash flow it, we'll, we'll be able to, to ride out the storm. It'll do well. Let's see. Jake is saying in your latest Matt on a Frio episode around 910, you said you don't have to tell them what they paid for it, though it is public information. They can go check the records. How is that possible? Um, well, it not all states are like this, um, but in, in many states, Tennessee is one of them. Texas is not. Uh, the purchase price of the property is public record. So you can go to your tax records and see what the properties have transacted for. Oftentimes, uh, you can also look on, you know, CoStar or some sort of, uh, I mean, I'll usually look in the Nashville Business Journal and they'll report on what the purchase price was. So you can go back and see, uh, sometimes, not, not every state has this, but you can go back and see what somebody bought their property for. Now, I will caution you against that. It doesn't necessarily matter what somebody paid for their property when it comes to what they're going to sell it for. I've had investors in the past get upset for example, I paid $5.6 million for Peerless Mill. The, the seller bought it for less than $500,000. So, I mean, we're talking about a 10x plus return on what they paid for it. Now, they only bought it three or four years before I did. So, you think about it, it's like, well, did they really increase the value of it 10 plus X uh, to get to a $5.6 million valuation? Probably not. They just got a better deal on it three to four years ago. And I still got a hell of a deal on it. I paid $3 a square foot for that property. It's one and a half million square feet. So, you know, I just say that, you know, take it with a grain of salt as to what somebody paid for it. Because just because they paid, you know, almost nothing for it doesn't mean that they'll take anything close to that. Because if they're relatively sophisticated, they know what it's worth and that's what they're going to sell it for. Let's see, Matthew saying, good morning, Tyler. Sorry, not a commercial question, but thoughts on residential wholesale company rebuilt? Uh, that's funny, Matthew. I actually know the owners or the founders of that company pretty well. Um, they, because they're based here in Nashville. Uh, they seem to have a pretty good program pulled together. Um, I really like the leadership team over there. Uh, those guys know what they're doing. And, uh, you know, I'm not a, a big residential wholesale guy, but I've looked into the platform that they're putting together. And I think that it, is a, a pretty great uh, solution to a, an outstanding problem, right? I mean, you can go on there and they have a whole database of residential properties that they're looking to wholesale. And what I like about what they're doing is that they're taking a volume approach 
instead of you know your typical one-off wholesaler approach, which means they don't have to mark up their deals nearly as much as your average wholesaler does in order to make it make sense because they're they're talking about dozens, if not hundreds, or maybe even thousands of wholesaling deals instead of you know your typical person doing maybe ten to twenty uh, a quarter. So they don't have to make nearly uh, the um, they don't have to make nearly the margin on one single deal as your average wholesaler does. So that means better opportunities for investors. So yeah, I mean, I, you know, again, I've never used it. I'm not a big you know residential um, wholesaling guy. Um, I might be getting into that here soon. Some of y'all may know that we're starting a construction company, and we're going to be doing some residential uh, flips and, and development. Because um, that's actually where I cut my teeth back in the day. My first project was 42 townhomes down in Bellevue. So, um, yeah, I'll probably be looking into it here more soon um, and 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 seeing what they're offering. But, yeah, I think I think you guys should definitely go check out Rebuild. I mean, if you're into buying residential deals at a discount, that's that's where you can do it. So, let's see. Doster is saying Nashville Business Journal with gems. Yeah, Nashville Business Journal is great. Nashville Post is awesome. I mean, we are always following our news sources because they are on top of it. I tell you what, I mean, the the reporters in Nashville are really good at at uncovering deals and seeing what's going on and, and talking about all that stuff. And and it it always helps to just stay on top of the news. So, you know, curate. You can get newsletters from these groups. Uh, if nothing else, it helps you stay involved in the market to know what's going on, what's transacting, what corridors might be popping off what trends are going on in the market, you know, they're all, they're reporting on a little bit of everything when it comes to commercial real estate in Nashville. And, and, you know, most cities have a, a news source like that. So, so definitely jump, uh, jump in there and, and get educated. It's, it's the best thing that you can do when it comes to commercial real estate is just know your market very well, know what's going on in the world of commercial real estate as best as you can. And, uh, you know, do everything you can to learn. I mean, that's, you guys are in the right spot if you want to do that, right? I mean, this this podcast, we've got, gosh, over, I don't know, I think over 160 episodes released at this point, which is kind of crazy to believe that we've gotten um, to that. I mean, the YouTube channel has over 350 videos now, and it's uh, it's really fun to see what it's become. You know, I started this back in 2020 when I had literally nothing else to do. Nobody wanted to buy any real estate. I wasn't buying any real estate. And uh, it's it's kind of wild to see, you know, three years later, what uh what this is turning into it's becoming its own business and you know i've got a full studio now which is pretty cool to to have set up and it makes my life so much easier uh, whenever i'm i'm going live and live streaming to you all uh let's see michael saying any comment on u.s home sellers class action case in the news uh michael i assume you're talking about the commissions um issue and i've got a couple of thoughts on that um, NAR, you know, just got sued in the class action lawsuit along with a couple of other residential firms uh, for allegedly, um, I guess, setting commissions or conspiring to set commissions. And I mean, I fully agree with that. If people are conspiring to set commissions, you're you're not supposed to do that. I mean, you you can set commissions to whatever you want, but if a whole bunch of people get together and say, "No, we're all going to charge three percent," we're all on the same page then yeah, I mean, that's price fixing. So I, you know, we'll see where it goes. I think that it could be the the end of buyer reps in residential real estate, which has been going away for a little while now. We'll see where it goes. Grant, 
uh, Tyler, from an investor standpoint, if you had to start over, what would you do differently today for your investment portfolio? Grant, I actually have a really good video on that where I think it's literally um, if I started over today or something something along those lines. And uh, I kind of talk about everything that I would do. I mean, I think that I wouldn't change a thing. We've done a really good job of diversifying our portfolio and making sure that we can ride out an economic storm. I mean, we don't have any properties in distress right now. Um, you know, we're dealing with some issues on the construction side for my hotel, but that's to be expected in a market like Nashville. I think that we'd be dealing with that even if the market was totally fine today. So I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, I think that we've built this out pretty well. Virginia saying best option for financing, six units rent at $700, but could be a thousand dollars a month, tenant occupied for sale as a three side-by-side -side duplexes. Outside interiors for sale for two hundred and forty thousand dollars each individually. ARV comps two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand. Um, I mean, it depends on what you want to do. If you want to do just do a quick flip, hard money could be a, a good option. But I'm I'm a big fan of local and regional lenders, banks, you know, even credit unions. I've used credit unions before. Um, I think that you know those those groups really just know what they're doing and they know the market better. And they're typically more aggressive on commercial real estate than your average, uh, than than your your more national groups. So always go go for the local guys. You know, uh, you'll see Bank of America do commercial real estate deals, but they're big. I mean, we're talking you know thirty, forty, fifty million plus in debt. So chances of you ever wanting to use them are pretty slim. And also, they they make it so difficult for smaller investors to do any deals with them. Uh, it's it's really just not worth it. So anyway, yeah, y'all stay tuned. Um, keep an eye out for the monthly business update podcast. We're going to be diving into what I'm doing at the Cobble Group to grow our brokerage by 500% next year. We're not, not planning on hiring anybody else. So this is going to be with my current team. Pretty excited about that. Um, a little bit nervous as well. Thank you all for joining me for this week's Office Hours. We go live every Tuesday at 8.30 a.m. Central Standard Time. I will see you guys in the next one. This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by CRE Launch Pro. This online commercial real estate program is designed to take you from beginner to pro commercial real estate investor with access to all of my courses, our online community, and monthly group coaching calls. Learn how to confidently buy your first commercial property today at www.crelaunchpro.com.